cloud. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Easy, where we talk to real life people who have real life stories of transformation and overcoming. And today we have a friend with us. Her name is Bonnie. And I'm going to title this Addict to Advocate. And we're going to dig into her story, but there's a couple of things I want to mention beforehand. Please go on to wherever you're listening or watching this podcast. Go on to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Chasing Easy. Hashtag Chasing Easy to all of your social media platforms to share the information with friends. And also make sure you subscribe to the channel. Like it, subscribe it, and share it, please. Um, and Bonnie has given us a disclaimer she was having some technological issues. So if you're watching this, you're just going to see me and a phone picture, which <clears throat> many of us have, have had technological challenges in the past. And so Bonnie, it's probably operator error, but that's all right. We're going to extend some grace. So <laughs> she may also, she said that she's going to be out on her side porch and you may hear some noises in the background because that's where she's getting reception. So just wanted everybody to be aware of that. You know that I don't edit and cut. So this is raw and real. And Bonnie, I just want to thank you for your willingness to share your courageous testimony with us and the listening audience. My pleasure. Doing okay. All right. So let, let's go ahead and, and dig in. I, I want to tell you first that I met Bonnie through a mutual friend. And we went camping on a weekend. And during that weekend, there were some opportunities to share the stories of our lives. And so Bonnie was sharing hers with me. And I thought immediately that the audience that listens to Chasing Easy would really be able to connect well with Bonnie. So Bonnie, tell us just a, a little bit about who you are and your background. And then we're going to dig into the questions. Okay. Well, um, I'm not sure exactly what you want to know about me, but I'll start with, um, I grew up in Dundalk. I'm a Dundalk girl. Um, okay. Came from a family, a, a pretty normal family. Um, my dad worked for a subsidiary of um, Bethlehem Steel. My mom was basically a stay-at-home mom. I have two older brothers, nine and um, 11 years older than I. Um, my oldest mm. brother passed away several years ago. Um, my other brother, we remained close. Um, and so I grew up a pretty normal life and got married um, when I was 19 and had mm. my first and only child at the age of 20. And um, in 1977, my, this is my first husband. I'm remarried now. My first husband and I moved to California because he had the opportunity to work uh, at a really good job. Um, and so we made the decision to move to California and he started working at this company that my oldest brother worked for. We lived there for 11 years. And when we first went there, we lived a pretty normal life. Um, we had some elderly neighbors that lived across the street and we became close to them. And our daughter made friends with, you know, some of the kids in the neighborhood. Um, she had some difficulty in public school, and we pulled her out, put her in Christian school, got involved with the Christian school, and um, my husband um, 
eventually what happened was the job that he worked for kind of closed up and he started working for some body shops in the area because he was a body shop and repairman and eventually decided to open up his own shop, which we thought was a really a great idea. But then drugs and alcohol came into the picture. And um, I can tell you that my life went downhill pretty quickly. Um, I started, mm. I started using cocaine. Um, and let me back up. Let me back up. When we lived here in Maryland, ah, I started experimenting a little bit with marijuana the first time I used it. I had a really bad experience and I said, I'm never going to touch that again. And I didn't for like two years. And then um, some friends came over one night and talked me into smoking again. That experience wasn't so bad. So I thought, oh, well, this isn't so bad. So when we moved to California, um, yeah, I was smoking pot here and there. Um, in California, you could grow a couple plants in the backyard, which we did. Um I didn't start drinking a whole lot until I got introduced to cocaine. When mm. I got introduced to cocaine, <clears throat> that's when my drinking really started getting out of hand. Um, when I look back, it was primarily because I was doing so much cocaine because my husband started dealing it and it was really easily accessible to me. Um, I started doing so much of it that I was getting too high and I wanted to even it out. So I would drink alcohol, not realizing mm. what kind of danger I was putting myself in. Okay. So let me, let me, let me, let me stop you there real quick, Bonnie, because that's mm-hmm. a whole lot of information that you just unpacked in a very short period of time. So mm-hmm. take me to the time where you said that you kind of just parlayed into drugs and alcohol. Take me to the time when that was triggered from the body shop repairman or the body man, your, your ex-husband wanting to open his own business. What, what was the real trigger there to reintroduce you into drugs and eventually leading to alcohol abuse? His business started to struggle a little bit and he met this guy um, who pretty much triggered this whole thing. You know, we could, we could make a whole lot of money in a short period of time. It wasn't intended to be any kind of long-term thing, but unfortunately I think in a lot of instances, not only do you become addicted to the drugs, but you become addicted to the lifestyle and he definitely became addicted to the money and the power. So you said a bunch of powerful things there addicted to the lifestyle the power mm-hmm. and the money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his and business so, was struggling. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the business was struggling. And then this gentleman out of nowhere shows up and says, Hey, I got a way you can make some extra bucks. To be honest with you, Teresa, I don't remember what that connection was. I don't remember how he met him. I just know that I just remember that when he came into the picture, okay, that's when my husband started dealing and um, it Mm. went really downhill from there very quickly. As a matter of fact, what was your reaction when he came home and said, Hey babe, by the way, I'm going to start dealing cocaine so we can make ends meet. I guess because I was very naive 
because I did grow up pretty naive. I, my parents, you know, sheltered me to the, to a degree. Um, I wasn't very um, savvy, you know, street savvy. I wasn't street savvy or anything, you know. And I believed my husband when he said, you know, it's the short lived thing. We can make a lot of money. Get you know, get this, you know, a, a bunch of money together to get this restarted. Yada yada. And so I believed him. You know, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And in the meantime, because I started using it, it was like, oh, yeah, this is really kind of cool. You know, I lost weight. I felt good about myself. And I always took care of myself. I always took care of myself. My mom taught me when I was growing up, you know, to always look your best. I, I never went outside, you know, dressed, un, not underdressed. I always took pride in the way I looked, you know, mm-hmm. and... When I got sober, when I finally got sober, um, I remember having this picture of myself, and it was taken in the backyard of the of the house that we owned in California. And I remember looking at that at the time, and I was wearing this really nice-looking pair of white pants and this really nice royal blue top. And at the time, I thought I looked really good. And when I got sober and looked at that, I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God. What did you see? You looked like a skeleton. I looked like a skeleton. I was mm. very, very thin. I mean, I looked good on the outside, but I was very, very thin and realized, you know, I was not as healthy as I thought I was. You know, um, drugs and alcohol give us this sense, this false sense of security in so many different areas. And it really is a false sense. And until mm-hmm. we're able to work through that, and see that, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times we just continue doing what, our, what we're doing. You know, fortunately sure. for me, I didn't fall prey to any other drugs. It was primarily alcohol and cocaine and marijuana. Eventually I stopped using marijuana because I didn't like the way it made me feel. And so I stopped. Okay. I just totally stopped. I continued with alcohol and cocaine probably for about maybe four years maybe four years. And my husband, he kept going down further and further and further and to the point we separated for a while. Now, what do you mean by going down? Hold on, Bonnie. When you say he kept going down further and further, define what that is. What was he doing that you were witnessing and seeing? And how did that make you feel about yourself and your situation? He just kept, he, he, he got really sucked in to that lifestyle of dealing and because when you start dealing drugs for a lot of times I've learned, especially as a counselor for all the years that I did counseling, I learned that people that deal drugs, that's an addiction of itself. It really is an addiction of itself because you get addicted to that lifestyle. You get addicted to the power. You get addicted to the money. You get addicted to the fact that you've got all of these people that surround you, you know, that are your mm-hmm. quote unquote friends. Okay. And when, when you look at it from the outside looking in and, and the fog clears, you're able to see that, no, that's not real. That's just an illusion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he got sucked into that, you know, um, to the point where he became involved with the legal system and was charged with murder. Hmm. And when that happened at that point in time, I had, 
I'm, I'm trying to think because again, the eighties are like really a big blur to me. There's only pieces that I remember. And when that happened, okay. Um, I had called his sister who lived in another state and, um, told her what had happened. And the very first thing we decided was to send our daughter to live with her because we were scared. I was scared. I was scared for her and her well-being. So put her on a plane, sent her to her aunt to live. And in the meantime, I was trying desperately to pull things together and it wasn't working very well. And I remember I got to the point where I said, you know what? I don't care about this anymore. I don't care about the house. I don't care about living in California. Because we lived in Southern California. It was a great place to live. I didn't care about any of that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I don't care if you give this house to your little brother. I don't care if you burn it to the ground. I don't care anymore. I'm moving back to Maryland. But now, you had to have had... Sorry, you you had to have had so much happening that made you finally say, I'm putting my foot down, I'm done living this way. Because there are women who who want to walk away from whatever abusive situation they're in. And and this could be a form of abuse, financial abuse. Oh, yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. But they don't walk away for fear. So what was it that built up that you finally said, you know, I, I'm not doing this anymore? What was the awakening, if you will, that made you say, well, I'm not doing this anymore? Well, keep in mind that, yeah, financial abuse, but it's also emotional and spiritual abuse as well. Mm-hmm. And I just got tired, Teresa. I just got tired. It's like, I didn't grow up like this. This is not me. And I'm done. I'm done. My mother at the time, um, backing up, back up a couple of years before this, my mom um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh, and, I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, I remember she came out to California. Her and my mom came to California. Her and my father came to California. And this is when, I mean, this was a time when, when all of this crap was happening with my husband dealing, but there was also a side of him that was very caring. And I Mm -hmm. can remember when my mom and dad came out to California that year, my mom had had the first operation on the brain tumor and he built a ramp. He built a ramp on the outside of our house so that we could get her up and into the house and the wheelchair and down. So then there was this little piece that I kept hanging on to, mm. kept thinking that, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to go back to the way we were living before. But I finally realized when this all came down with um, him being involved with this murder, that that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't going to happen. And that's, I yeah. guess, when I decided I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I need to go back east. You know, my mom was being put into a nursing home because my dad couldn't take care of her anymore. And he was by himself, you know, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. Pack my bags, my cat, mm. put my Persian cat on the plane with me and flew <laughs> back to Maryland. My brother picked me up from the airport 
And I remember going back to my parents' house and walking in the front door. And this is very clear to this day. I remember my dad looked at me and looked at the cat and said, you brought your cat. Yeah, dad, I brought my cat. He looked at me again and looked at the cat and said, <laughs> The heck with you, you brought, you your, brought cat. your cat. <laughs> I said, yes, I brought my cat, dad. I brought my cat. Oh, gosh. My mom, dad, <laughs> my mom and dad had no knowledge of any of this. And, you know, I, I couldn't, in my, in my hardest of hearts, I couldn't, I couldn't reveal what was happening. Um, Why did they brother, think you were coming home? Because of my mom. Because of my mom. Okay. I was coming okay. back there to help my dad um, because I knew it was going to be hard for him. And it was. It was a very difficult decision for us to make with my mom. Sure. I came back in June of that year. My mom passed away in September of that year. Mm-hmm. And um, I stayed with my dad and my husband, um, whatever he was doing in California was doing. Okay. said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We're going to start over. We're going to start over, blah, 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 blah. And he did. He came back and we rented a house. And um, in December of that year, I remember I had taken our daughter. He had taken our daughter across the street to the doctor because she had can't remember if she had strep throat. She had something. Can't remember now what it was. And these two detectives showed up at my house. They was in California. Wanted mm. to know if he was there. And I said, no, he's across the street. They're daughter, doctors. And to make a long story short, um, they got him. They extradited him back to California. I remember my brother telling me, because my brother was a police officer, told me, um, Bond, um, then I'm extraditing back to California for no reason at all. They've got some evidence on him. And in the meantime, is this where the murder is this when the murder came to light? Yeah, yeah. This is all involved with the murder. Okay. And um, okay. they mm. took him back to California. I continued to to think that oh, it's going to be, it's going to turn out, it's going to turn out, everything's going to be okay. Um, I remember going to the fair that year. And I saw this um, sign at the fairground from Dundalk Community College about being a uh, chemical dependency counselor. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Because I always wanted to be a counselor. Ever since I was in junior high school, I wanted to be some sort of counselor or psychologist Hmm. or whatever. When I saw that sign, I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I signed up at Dundalk Community College. And I'm kind of going all over the place here right now, so I apologize if 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 you're if anyone's is confused. But like I said, it's it's a long time ago, and it's I've been sober. Next month it will be 34 years. Amen. In that time, <laughs> time, you know, when you get older, your mind is is not as sharp as it used to be. So I apologize. So here, no, Bonnie, stop apologizing. Stop apologizing. Why, why don't you, if you're comfortable, share with us how old you are? 70. I'm 70 okay. years old. Seven zero, yes. listeners. Seven so zero. Yes. how many years, <clears throat> and I, you know, we, we've come through your past and, and what you struggled with and how you struggled with it. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that and we don't have time to go into it today, but a lot of the reason that I have found with other people that I have coached and counseled is they stay stuck where they are because of the fear of the unknown. Or as in your case, (laughs) you hold out for hope because you had this Mm -hmm. little glimmer that you saw of your ex-husband 
where you, you mm-hmm. knew he could be caring. He could be compassionate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that well, is not the normal, right? I mean, that was one little piece, but this is what every woman that I have come across holds onto. It's that hope. Oh, and yeah. it, it serves you for a short period of time, but you've got to mm-hmm. be really, really careful because if you are in any way, shape or form, modifying your own emotional and you mentioned spiritual well-being, then there's mm-hmm. something in that picture that you really need to consider that's not going to line up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I how long not, then I, were you addicted? And then coming back here, seeing that sign at the fair, and then deciding that you're in a council. Well, I was, like I said, I, my cocaine usage and the alcohol usage lasted for about four years to the best okay. of my recollection. Okay. When I saw that sign at the fair, I signed up to do that starting classes in September. Okay. Going back to what I said about my husband being, um, about the detectives coming to my house that happened that following December. So I signed up for college in September. They came in December and I remember sitting in class that day mm-hmm. And I, knowing that they had arrested him and taken him, you know, he was in, he was in the detention. Well, he had been in the detention center. And um, anyway, I'm getting hmm. a little confused here. Let me go back to December. I remember. So it was a class. year. Yeah. I you was signed up in September and it was the following December. So it was over a year. Okay. Sorry. Go no, ahead. No, no, I'm no, just no, trying no, to get the no, timeline. No, I came back here in June. I came back here in June, signed up for college in September. This with the, with the detectives happened in December. Okay. Mm-hmm. He spent a year here. Okay. In, in the detention center before they extradited him back to California. Okay. That day in class, I couldn't concentrate. And I, the professor came up to me after class because I was crying. I, you know, I was crying. And she looked at me and she said, you need to go to Naranon. And so I started going to Naranon. And I went to Naranon with the intention that they were going to tell me what to do. And they didn't, which really pissed me off. They wouldn't tell me whether I could divorce that day with them or whatever. You know, it really pissed mm-hmm. me off. <laughs> but looking back, I'm grateful that they didn't. Because mm-hmm. what I learned, I learned a lot about myself. Because Naranon made me focus on me. And what I what does Naranon stand for? Naranon is Naranon is a support group that's based on the twelve steps. It's a family group. It's for the family members of people that are addicted to drugs. Okay, and in my mind, because I had stopped using on my own, I didn't have a problem. Okay, my mm-hmm. husband did, but I didn't have a problem when I went to Naranon. Okay, and they started telling me, you need to focus on you and not him. Okay, between that and sitting in class one day, and they were going over the um, criteria for addiction. And at Mm -hmm. that point in time, there was 11 criteria for addiction, and you had to meet three. When they got to the third one, you know how you get those little um, shivers up your spine? Uh-huh. When they got to the third criteria, I got those shivers up my spine and realized, no, you had a problem too. And so Ooh. getting involved, yeah, getting involved in college, 
led me to my first job in the addiction field. Okay. And I'm not going to go into any detail. It was a, it was a, it was a uh, first a level entry job when I first started. And I met mm-hmm. this woman who was a counselor and she became my mentor and my sponsor. And I tell you what, if it hadn't have been for her and the people in the 12 step program, I wouldn't be where I am today. Okay. I I'm going to pause you there. The important, go ahead. I, I, you were probably getting ready to say one of the most important things is to surround yourself with other people and what I was going to do is congratulate you that you were able to find a mentor, whether she found you or you found it. I've got my own beliefs about that. But to have a mentor, to have a sponsor, to have somebody speak into your life so that you can then pay it forward to speak into somebody else's life is one of the crucibles that helps anybody who is in any type of addiction to overcome that and to realize their value and their worth which a lot of times we miss. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to recovery, I think a lot of people are looking for that instant fix with it, you know, Mm. and I'm sorry, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. You Mm. know, I, I, I have a lot of different mixed feelings about some of the, um, drugs that they use to help people overcome addiction. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because it's not, but it's not the only thing you've got to involve people in your life. It is so helpful to, to be with others that understand where you're coming from, you know, and understand the struggle about where you're going and the fear about, as you said earlier, the fear of the unknown, where, where is this going to take me? Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea where it was going to take me. All I knew is I didn't want to go back to where I was. That's what I knew for certain. I didn't want to go back to where I was. And I was willing to do whatever it took not to go back there. And I remember I, I, this mentor, I tell you what, she, oh my God, I, it was divine intervention. I don't care what anybody says. When you've mm-hmm. got that kind of a connection with someone, that's something really special. And it doesn't just happen out of the blue. It just doesn't. Right. I, I 100% you know, it's, agree it's with that. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's some kind of divine intervention. And I'm so grateful that, that these people, not only her, but the professor in my life, you know, the other people that I've met in recovery, the colleagues that I've worked with over the years, every one of them has had something to do with maintaining Your journey. the strength that I've, that I, right, my journey and the strength that I've maintained, you know, even, even my, my current husband, you know, we, we met through recovery, you know, and all of that, you know, has, has come together. You know, my daughter and I have been in places that it's not the best place to be. I mean, we were estranged for a while, but mm-hmm. I, if I hadn't gotten involved in recovery, her and I wouldn't be where we are today. You know, I had so that- to realize that if I was going to be there for her, 
I had to be there for me first. Okay, now that's key. That that is key. And so I'm glad that you repeated it. But again, you know, we we teach this thing called self-love because if you can't love yourself, then you can't give away what you don't have for yourself. And that goes along the lines of exactly what you're saying is you had Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself and get better for yourself first. It's like putting the oxygen mask on first before putting it on a child, you know, where we go through the safety restraints for for flying. It's not Mm -hmm. go ahead and give it to them first and then take care of yourself. Well, you're no good if you can't take care of yourself to pass it on to somebody else. So I want to fast forward. We've got about three minutes left and I want to kind of wrap this up with a good note because you're, you went through this process, you came back home, you've been sober, you'll be celebrating 34 years. God bless you and amen to that and hallelujah. Using your counseling to pour into other women or other folks, which is what you did with your experience, had a profound effect on you. And now you had remarried. So even going through all of that mess, you are now married to an incredible man for how many years? Oh, my gosh. We've been together for 30. How long have we been together? Um, we, we got over 30 years. We met in, yeah, we met in when the heck was it? 1990. So, about okay. 32 years. Yep, 32 years. Yeah, so I just I want to you know that this, this is a message of hope. So, for people who are out there struggling right now, thinking that you're not worthy or you've been beaten down, that you're never going to find somebody to love you and care for you. It might not be a husband. It might end up being a, I don't know, a counselor, a mentor, you know, somebody yep. who's going to sponsor yep. you or speak in, speak life into you. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fact that you can find meaning and purpose coming out of experiences that did not serve you for many, many years is really the message that Chasing Easy is all about because we chase easy every day, every day. Absolutely. Uh, as Absolutely. simple as... Let me vacuum around the rug instead of lifting the rug and vacuuming under it. Right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's real. Exactly. <laughs> we all, well, I shouldn't say we all do it. I know I do it. Um, so the chasing easy never gets us anywhere. But no. in that chasing easy, we end up in a place where we can overcome that. And now we can help somebody else who's doing the same things. And that's exactly what you did, Bonnie. And I'm so grateful for you to share your your testimony with us, to pour into other people. If there was one thing that you could say in a short sentence to encourage someone who might be struggling right now, what would that be? Get out of your head and reach out to others for help. And don't Uh, ever give up on yourself. That's wise right there getting out of your head and none of this that you are saying is easy, but it's worth it. Right. Absolutely. And you know, so many times people who are addicted, they're doing exactly the title of your book. They're chasing easy and it doesn't work. You got to work at recovery. You got to work on yourself and you got to realize you're worth it. Mm, There you go. Even other people think you're not. And who cares what other people think? Because it's none of your business anyway. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Well, Bonnie, thank you again for, for jumping on here. 
Um, those of you that are listening, I, I pray that this speaks into your life and that it encourages you to do something, either to pay it forward to somebody else or for you yourself to start showing yourself some self-love and self-respect. And with that, we'll go ahead and end. Um, this will be posted and we look forward to any feedback that you might have. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, don't go anywhere.